0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and also have your finger in Ephesians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Yes, God, even now, God, we choose to surrender ourselves to you. God, we we surrender every one of the things, God, that are occupying our minds and our hearts right now. God, we choose by faith to entrust all those things to you that we might be present right now where we are. So, God, please grant us that grace to just be present with you, to know that those of us here who are in Christ Jesus are fully safe and secure in your kingdom. That whatever circumstances or situations we find ourselves in right now, outside of these doors, God, you hold them in the palm of your hand. And you're working them, God, for your good and our good and for your glory. And so, God, from that place, Lord God, will you just meet us, Holy Spirit of God. Allow for your word to have, Lord God, its intended result we pray against every evil force right now in the name of jesus we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities powers rulers and there are those that may be here present right now attempting to distract to distort and to derail what you holy spirit want to do and we just command you right now in the name of jesus to leave silence your voice and we cancel any assignment or strategy you have against god's people today And against God's plans. And God, we just pray, Holy Spirit of God, will you just come? Meet us where we are. Settle in this place. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit we ask. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I asked you a couple weeks ago, as we still find ourselves in this series that I've kind of entitled Spirit and Power... I asked you a couple weeks ago to identify your area of desired change in your life. What area of the flesh of the sin that is in your life that, that you would want to see the power of God manifest in a way in which you can find an area of growth and deliverance in that area. I hope you remembered that area that you identified, whether it be gossip, whether it be maybe you're struggling with feelings of envy from one another, maybe maybe issues of comparison, maybe just the fact that there's an area of control that you want to have in your life, but you do not have it, whether it's just the love and the desire for money because it, desi- it brings security and status. Maybe you find yourself today struggling with lust sexually, lust when it comes to just having things your way, lust of, of recognition and position and power of fame of being able to be a self-determining agent. Maybe you're struggling in the area of excess, just gluttony, where, where you're shopping far beyond what you know that you ought to be in a four, where you're eating in ways to actually silence the challenges that are at the deep core issues of your life. Maybe there's a lack of self-control. Maybe you find yourself kinda fudging the truth because you wanna be perceived in a certain way. Or maybe you just find yourself at times going off in anger through text, through social media, email, in the relationships you find yourself. Maybe you're just riddled with worry. And maybe like me, as I've shared, you're struggling with discontent. If we're going to find power in these areas of our lives, the thing I've been challenging us just to do is to just slow down. And one of the first steps that I talked about from the book of Galatians is identify the desire that's driving that fleshly fruit that's coming out of your life. Galatians 5:16 tells us to do just that. that underneath the, the, the anger, underneath the lack of self-control, underneath the excess, underneath the substance abuse, underneath the, the lust, uh, underneath the envy, there's a, there's a desire that you have, that's fueling it. The desire to do more, to have more, to be more. That's the first step, identify the desire. And then secondarily, I encourage us to identify the deception. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says, do not be deceived. The deception is that if I live according to these fleshly things, then I'll get life. Anger is going to give me what I need. Envy is going to give me what I need. The, the, the lack of control is going to give me what I need if I put my hands on this. If I compare myself to others, then I'm going to feel the fulfillment that I'm longing for, and that is the deception. Deception. Because in the end, every single one of us that have found ourselves in this list that I just named, at the end of it, if we're honest and we've all experienced it, we actually find ourselves not happier but less happy. We're not more content, we're less content. We don't feel more loved and accepted, we feel less loved and accepted. Because Galatians tells us the end of these things is destruction. But the reality is what we've been talking about is that there's power available to us, that we don't have to live in that place. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, he talks about the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, he tells us to be strengthened with power in the inner being. So there's power that is available to us. And then he says the power is through his spirit. So if we're going to climb out of these areas of the flesh where we find ourselves in our day-to-day lives, if we're going to find ourselves finding more victory in the areas of the list and whatever you, whatever you named on your list, then we've got to experience and engage in more of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're like me, you realize, and Pastor James talked about this a few weeks ago. When it comes to the areas that I just described, when it comes to the areas that you're struggling with, that you don't want to be, that's bringing ruin into your life, willpower won't do. As Comer writes, at least willpower to change these areas in your life, they're not going to deal with the deepest problems. Willpower is good against cookies in the cabinet. And even for some of those, me being a sweet fanatic, even willpower isn't good against my donuts. But when you try to apply willpower to the triggers of trauma, when you try to apply willpower to the addiction, when you try to apply willpower versus the pain, you see, a lot of us, if we really take our time and we slow down, a lot of the reason why we're angry, envious, why we're worried, why we're comparing, why we're lying, all of those things is coming from a pain point. It's coming from a deep area that's fueling it. Willpower can't touch that. It's not going to be enough. And so as you pause, as I pray that you do, to look at the sin patterns in your life, you can discover the deep wounds underneath the sin patterns. Now here's the reality. The question becomes, "Just how do we change then? If willpower is not enough, then how do we change? In Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now for many of us in the church... I'm sure that verse is not new. I'm sure you've read it before. But I'm i ask a question. Do you even know what it means to sow to the flesh or the Spirit? If I were to ask you right now, because what Paul is telling us is that if we want to get the Spirit, we've got to sow to the Spirit. If I asked you, what does it look like for you as a Christian believer right now on Monday morning to sow to the Spirit? Could you tell me what that means? Could you tell me what that looks like? Could you tell me how you can begin to enact that in your life? Again, we know, but we don't know. At least that's what I, a lot of times, have to admit. Because in chapter 5, verse 22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, so on and so forth. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's where we're trying to get, amen. We're trying to get there. That's what we want in, in our lives. And so then Paul then tells us then in verse of chapter six of verse, verse eight for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but for the one who sows to the spirit. So if you're gonna get the fruit of the spirit, you gotta sow to the spirit. And so again, my question becomes is do we know what it means to sow? Well, the three questions I have for us this morning is what does it mean to sow, and then secondarily, I'm going to answer the question, how do we sow to the Spirit, and then lastly, what is the promise when we do? What does it mean to sow? How do we sow to the Spirit, and what is the promise when we do sow? What does it mean to sow? Now, what's challenging with that term is is that we live in a city. I'm a city boy. I grew up in the city. I grew up in the concrete jungle, and so sewing is something that I'm not too familiar with. And I'm sure most of us are probably in that arena. How many people garden? You got any gardeners in the house? No gardeners. Okay, proves my point. <laughs> we have no idea what sewing is. Okay, so sewing, not S-E-W, S-O-W. It's an agrarian term. And really what it means is to scatter seed. Sowing seeds simply means scattering them across the soil, into the soil, so that eventually they will germinate or sprout. We kind of have some of those terms. Anybody shop at sprouts? For that, <laughs> uh, all right, all right, there we go. All right, so we get it now. Sprouts. So you can either, what Paul is saying then here when he talks about sowing, is that you can either scatter the seed of the flesh or scatter the seed of the Spirit, and what we see here is Paul is saying this is something that is intentional, and when you scatter that type of seed, it will bring forth or germinate or sprout a certain fruit, Namely, either flesh or spirit. Now, what we see here is Paul is saying, you have an effort to engage in in the process. But what's the effort for the farmer? What's the effort? The effort is the scattering. And then all the farmer has to do, as once he's scattered, is he has to wait, and whatever he's scattered, as he waters it and nurtures it, it will spring up effortlessly whatever he scattered. If he scatters cherries, what's going to come out? Cherries. Now, if he scattered cherry seeds and he's expecting strawberries and all of a sudden the cherries start coming up, is willpower going to do anything about changing those cherries into strawberries? If he gets on his knees praying, God, please, well, that that could happen. That could happen. But at the end of the day, he could try to kick them, stomp them, beat them, right? Do a dance and a jig around them. Whatever he could do, at the end of the day, what's going to pop up? Cherries. The interesting thing is, is that's kind of what we do with our sin. We scatter flesh all over the soil of our hearts. And then flesh starts coming out the soil. And then we try to start doing a jig, a dance around the soil, trying to keep back the flesh, saying, God, God, give me some spirit, give me some spirit, give me some spirit. But the fact of the matter is, what did you scatter? You scattered flesh. And you notice there was no effort involved. The effort was the scattering. But once you have done the scattering, the farmer just sits back and it does its thing. It's the processes in which God has already created. And it without power will grow into whatever was scattered. You see, what I want to focus on here is that Paul, in chapter 6, verse 8, is describing here a practice. Sowing is a practice. Sowing is a practice of scattering that brings about eventually effortless fruit from the effort of scattering. Well, how does this translate into our lives? Here's the reality. If if you're angry right now and that characterizes you, you didn't just wake up angry. This is what flesh scattering sewing looks like. The AC guy didn't show up. The water's leaking. So and so didn't meet the deadline. They still haven't answered my email. Why is the door always open? They canceled my credit card. Stupid window won't roll up. I just got it fixed. Why am I hold on hold on this phone call right now for 30 seconds? Can these people please open up another checker? Don't you see that there's two people in the line? That person right there does not know how to drive. What the heck is wrong with you, fool? Stay in the slow lane. This is for the fast people. And then you walk in the house, hi, honey, it's been a wonderful day. Let's kiss the kids. I love y'all. Y'all are so wonderful. How do you think you're going to walk in the house after scattering all that seed all day? You're going to walk in full of joy, rejoicing, hallelujah, hey, everybody, what's up? How are you going to walk in the house? Angry. Why? Why? Because you've been scattering anger seeds all day long. You see, you don't just wake up one day and commit adultery. You don't just wake up one day and find yourself in sexual sin. It begins with the small seeds of the flesh scattered, and I'm tired of sick of dealing with him. I'm sick and tired of dealing with her. I'm tired of all of his complaints. It's when your eyes start to wander, and you keep wandering day after day, week after week. It's the flirtatious little kind of banter that happens at the office. It, it, it's, it's the constant consumption I be getting on y'all with other uh, Korean dramas, because I got them in my house now. Y'all done totally corrupted my children. It's the reality TV where where you see these pictures of of these relationships that just look so wonderful, and you and you see that as compared to your own. It's it's looking at it's looking at the the, the pictures in, in Instagram of of people's lives and and their relationships. It's it's when you stop. The date nights—it's—it's it's when you, your boys are telling you, man, your your girl is this or your wife is that, or hey, it's your girlfriend saying, boy, he ain't—he's just ain't a piece of boot boot, this that another and all. It's all of that that then all of a sudden you wake up and you find yourself in the bed with another man or woman. You see, Comer brings us out the popularized idea of Hebb's law. Hebb's Law was actually created by Dr. Donald Hebb from neuroscience that states that cells that fire together wire together. Translation, every time you think or do something, it becomes easier to think or do that same thing again. And the more you repeat that process, the harder it is to break the self-perpetuating cycle. How hard is it for most of us If I were to give you a bike right now, you could jump on the bike and ride it. Yeah? I mean, literally, I haven't ridden a bike in years. But if I needed to, I could get on a bike and ride it. Why? Because I did a process of something over and over and over and over again until finally it got baked into who I am. As he says, this is a miracle of the human brain as God designed it. When you point your mind and body in the right direction, eventually it directs us automatically. That's why it doesn't take effort to just walk in and be angry. You've been feeding it so long and you've been in anger so long that it's just automatic. And here's the reality. How much willpower is going to keep me from being able to ride a bike? Can I get on the bike and be like, no, don't know how to ride this bike right now. No, no, you don't know how to balance right now. Willpower, willpower, willpower. How effective is that going to be? See, the key is effort at first in anything. And more importantly in our spiritual lives, effort, like, Learning how to ride a bike, you had to put effort into that, eventually brings effortlessness. The anger, the adultery, where does it come from? It comes from a thousand choices that were made over a long period of time that all built up until finally you find yourself that person. And as you see the destruction coming because of your envy, because you see it, when you see the destruction coming because, because of your comparison, because you see it, when you see the destruction come, then you start saying, I got to use willpower, I got to use willpower, I got to use power. But the problem is, dude, the, the caboose are already gone, homie. You're going 100 miles an hour in one direction, 50 tons. A philosopher, Plantinga, he says it this way. A fuller statement of sowing and reaping, the law of returns, would therefore go something like this. Watch this. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap another deed. Sow some deeds, reap a habit. Sow some habits, reap a character. You feed anxiety. You feed the discontent. You're constantly in this do more, have more, be more. You see the commercials that are telling me you need to have more, do more. Social media is telling me I need this, I need that. You look at others in their lives and you need this and you need that. You fixate on all the images of of what everyone else has as opposed to what you have. You listen to all the influencers that are telling you you need this, you need that. You know what all that is? That's sewing. That's sowing. That's sowing. And if you consume it, eventually you will effortlessly be discontent. And listen, all of these things happen via practices. Sewing is a practice. It's doing something a thousand times over and over and over again. Right? That's what made Kobe Bryant so good, right? He's like I shoot a thousand jump shots every day. So that when I'm in the game and it's time to go, I'm not thinking. It's just automatic. Your soul operates the same way. Your spirit operates the same way. So what Paul here is telling us is that sowing is a mechanism of formation. And this is where Pastor James talked about it a couple weeks ago. What I'm describing to you is the process of spiritual formation. Christian or not, everybody's always being formed. And it's the process by which you're formed in spirit or in your inner being into either the image of Jesus or you're conversely being deformed into the image of the flesh. And the thing that shapes both is choices and practices, a lot of them small ones over time. You don't wake up all of a sudden and you're in shape, right? Right? We wish and we get duped by all of these commercials that tell us, pop this pill and you'll look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in five, four days, I mean, you know, whatever. And we buy it, y'all buy it, don't be lying, you buy it, dad. No, really, we understand this concept, don't we? What does it require to get in shape? We know it's practices, bit by bit, day by day, week by week, month by month, the small steps, until finally, three months later of consistent small steps, after day one, you work out, do you feel like you've made any accomplishment? Does your body look different? Do you look like, man, I I done shrunk down to the size I want. I I done built the muscle I want. No, you don't. And so a lot of times you give up at that point. I've been been doing this for five days. But you linger and you're consistent. Then all of a sudden, one day, you'll wake up, look in the mirror, and you're a different person. But what did it take? Practice. What did it take? Commitment. What did it take? Effort. What did it take? Small movements. But like I told you a couple weeks ago, we don't take that perspective into our Christian lives. I mean, Jean Darley right now, she's working on a doctor. She didn't wake up, you know what I'm saying, like the other day, like, yep, I got a doctorate. This girl is putting in hours consistently. Consistently. Day after day after day after day, week after week, month after month, hour. Yeah, and then in 50 years, she'll (laughs) open her eyes. I got a (laughs) doctorate. Right? But what what is our perspective when it comes to our spirits and, and the areas of the flesh that we want different? I've had people come to me, man, I've been praying all of this time so I don't lust no more. That's called the Shazam syndrome. And then we get mad at God. And I've been praying. I've been praying for 15 days. God didn't answer my prayers. Something wrong with the Lord. No, 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 no. Here's the reality. If you're struggling in your area of sin, you didn't get there yesterday either. You know how you got there? Small practices. Over time, over a long period of time, little, little steps, that built you into Mr. Anger. That built you into Mrs. Discontent. That built you into I'm full of anxiety. And so, what does it mean to sow? It's engaging in consistent practices that will eventually produce outcomes that will reflect those practices. If I say it again, what does it mean to sow? It's engaging in consistent practices that will eventually produce outcomes that will result from those practices. So then how do we then sow to the Spirit in order to overcome these areas of sin? Because we want the Spirit, amen? So then what does it look like then for us to sow to the Spirit? Well, verse 8, Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, how do you sow to the Spirit? You apply the law of sowing and reaping, verse 7, to the Spirit. It is to engage in practices that will foster the Spirit in your life. If you engage in the practices of the Spirit, you will get more of the Spirit. Pastor James talked about this, we call those spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. And what's interesting here is I'm seeing a pattern in the text. As I told you guys weeks ago, we want to get more of the Spirit. So I'm trying to find these passages in the Bible that talk about the Spirit and how we get it. What's very interesting is, I haven't talked about this, and I may later, look at verse 1 of chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share with all good things. That's a discipline. It's called the discipline of giving and the one who teaches. So, in all of this passage, where it be uh, the discipline of restoring an individual in gentleness, that's a discipline. Keeping watch on yourself, that's a discipline. Whether it be, again, verse 6, Um, Let the one who shares the word share all good things. That's the discipline or practice of giving. And then he says, do not be deceived. So in verses 1 through 6, Paul is describing disciplines. And he's saying, don't stop doing these practices. Don't be deceived. Don't step away from the practices of of, of verse 1, restoring in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted. Don't, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. That's a practice. Go ahead and work that practice out. So, fulfilling the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he deceives himself, right, he's giving all these practices. And then he says, keep doing that and you will get the spirit. Verse 8. I told you to look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're familiar with this passage in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the what? Spirit. Now look at what comes next. This is what I'm saying. If you want spirit, you got to sow. And what is sow? It's doing the practices of the spirit. Watch what he breaks down. You want to be filled with the spirit? Now he gives practices. Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's the practice of worship. Singing, making melody with the Lord in our heart. Verse 20 is the practice of giving thanks always and for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the next practice, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see that? If you want the Spirit, verse, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, engage in these practices. And as you engage in these practices, verse 19, 20, and 21, you will gain more of the Holy Spirit. So what are we seeing in each of these examples? In Ephesians, even chapter 1, Paul is praying. He's praying that you be strengthened with power in the inner being in chapter 3. So how do we get the spirit that is needed for us to overcome our areas? Engage in practices that foster the spirit. The way you got to the flesh is you engaged in practices that fostered the flesh. Now, maybe you're like me, and maybe you may be saying, well, this feels frustrating for me because I'm doing those practices. I'm praying, and I'm not changing. I'm reading my Bible, and I'm not changing. I'm going to church, and I'm not seeing results. I'm going to give another illustration that maybe can hone in on this area. And again, I ask you to remember your area where you want to grow out of the flesh and into the spirit, whatever that sin area is. Here's my other question. You're in the gym, right? And in the gym, there's a lot of things going on when you walk into the the gym. There's all these fitness classes. There's the weight area, weight room. There's the treadmills. There's all these other different things. If you go in there and your goal is to build strength, should you go to the treadmill? No. No. Y'all know that, right? I'm, I'm just making sure. Don't go to the treadmill, man. You're scaring me. (laughs) If you want muscle, don't go to the treadmill. You actually have to go to the weight room. Now, here's what we do in our own spiritual lives. We say, I don't want to be envious anymore, so I'm just going to make sure I do all the things that are practices. And we go to our Bible, and we just read anything. We just go to church thinking, if I go to church, then all of a sudden this envy is just going to finally disappear. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying being in the environment is wonderful. But here's what I'm suggesting. In that area of sin in your life, if you're struggling with the sin of gluttony, excess, you're shopping too much, eating too much, spending too much time on social media, whatever excess is, You want more. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. That works a lot better for that area in your life than Numbers chapter 22, verse 29. Balaam's donkey says, what have I done to you that you have struck me three times? Right? But sometimes that's what we do. We be like, God, I'm, I'm sick of being envious, and then we read about Balaam's donkey and then wonder why we're still envious we we went into the gym we're in the practices and those are good things we ought to do them but what I'm suggesting because I'm trying to help me and you get out of that area of sin in your life is use the practices in such a way that target that area of needed desired growth sowing to the spirit then listen is specifically engaging a spirit-inviting practice in relationship to your cravings and deceptions. Remember I asked you a couple weeks ago, identify the desire and the deception that's driving the sin. What you need to do is, is take a spirit-wrought practice that specifically applies and hits those desires and those deceptions. I'll give an illustration, an example, because I want to make this practical. One spiritual practice is scripture memory, right? Now, sometimes we say, I got to just memorize scripture, and we just memorize scripture, which, again, is not a bad thing. But see, here's my problem. My problem is I'm dealing with discontent. There's an area in my life or areas in my life, and maybe you might be in those places too, where if I could change it right now, I would, and I'm not content with the fact that things are the way they are in this area of my life. I'm discontent. And so what I found myself doing is I find myself in the sewing pattern, in the practice. I practice complaining. I practice criticizing. I practice playing the victim. I focus on the negative and so on and so forth. And so I have then become this discontent person, grouchy, unhappy, unpleasant to be around. And I want to switch that up to where I'm actually a person who's happy, grateful, and I believe I'm in the kingdom to where everything is wonderful and good with me because I know I have all that I need in God. That's my problem, discontent. And it's so automatic because I've been doing it for so long that I'm just there now. I'm just there. When I open my eyes, I'm there. I sowed my discontent. And how did I get there? It didn't come just yesterday. It came years and years ago when I was constantly in complaint, constantly in criticism, constantly in playing the victim. I was just constantly whoop, whoop. And every time I walked around my old world, everything was, anything that came at me, Day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year was this hum of complaint, criticism, playing the victim, this, the, this, the, the, that's where I've been. Willpower is not going to help that. So now here's what I'm attempting to do to try to reverse that. First, I try to identify and I'm trying to identify what's the desire that's driving the discontent. I haven't slowed down enough to even do that. Why am I discontent? What is the do more, have more, or be more that's driving that for me? Second, the deception. Discontent, playing the victim, is going to make me feel better. That's a lie. Complaining about my situation is not going to make me feel better. That's a deception. But I believe it will. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing discontent if I didn't think it would do something for me. So now identify the deception. Now here's the third. So desire, deception, and now discipline. Because it's a D, I said discipline. I like the word practice a little better because I think it makes more sense, but I got my three Ds. Targeting this area of discontent through spiritual practices. So desire, deception, discipline. So now I'm going to take spiritual practices, one of them being I would take, for example, Pastor James. He preached on Sabbath. Is that a spiritual discipline? It is, right? It's a spiritual practice, right? My wife pointed this out after Pastor James' message. I thought it was dope because Pastor James was talking about God delighting in um, Genesis. After he created the sixth day, right? And on on the seventh day, what did he do? He looked back and he said, it is good. So what she was talking to me about, which I thought was dope, is Sabbath is, as Pastor James was saying, not just stopping and chilling. So I have my Sabbath on Monday. I stop and I chill. But here's the reality. If I, and these things aren't bad, but if I'm watching my cartoons, eating my donuts, play some video games, you know, whatever, am I hitting that area in my life through that practice of discontent? I'm not saying those are bad things, but I'm not using that practice to hit that area of discontent. But what was dope is, the wife, he said, was powerful about God when he rested, is what did rest look like for him? It was after six days, on the seventh day, he looked back at all the other six days and said, good. So then what does it look like for me to step into Sabbath the way that God did when he stepped into the Sabbath? So this is now what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take the vantage point that God had on my six days during the week. And what I'm doing in my six days during the week is just like God did over here and said, man, look at all the good I did. Over here, I'm trying to do the same thing and say, Look at all the good that God did in day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What am I doing? I'm trying to chop down that discontent. we we, we going to chop. Come on now. Come on now. See, my Sabbath is, is my Psalm 100 day. To chop away at that discontent enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You see, my Sabbath is my Psalm 100 day. And I'm telling y'all, I'm not there. I am far from it. But I am trying now to take these small little efforts. I'm just taking a small little step And then when I look in the mirror, I'm like, ooh, dog, man, you don't look like you got much done. You still look like a discontent little rat. But, but, I just did one day. I just did one. And I know, based on the law of sowing and reaping, that if I keep doing it, it's coming. You see, that's how we need to approach all the areas in our own sinful lives. What about my practice of scripture memory? I've intentionally memorized Ephesians chapter 1. And this is what I'm trying to do throughout my day. Again, I'm far from it, trust me. But this is what I'm trying to do. When something comes my way that motivates my discontent and something always does, all day, I'm trying to take Ephesians chapter 1, and right when I feel like complaining about the life that I'm living, I tell myself, uh-uh, no, verse 3, I have had every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It don't, it, it, don't, it don't feel like it, right? I mean, you ever worked out, right, and it don't feel like it, like it's doing anything? In that moment, it doesn't feel like it. But I'm simply trusting that if I put myself in the vein of the Holy Spirit, it's going to finally one day click. So, I just tell myself what, even in my heart, I'm struggling to believe. Ray, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When I'm about to complain, and when I do, I tell myself, Ray, you are chosen in Him. When I start to compare, I tell myself in Ephesians chapter 1 that I was actually chosen before the foundations of the world. Do you know what that means, Ray? Do you know what it means that you were chosen before the very world began? When I start to compare, when I start to play victim, I, I tell myself, dude, you are predestined for adoption do you are the son of the most high king. When I start daydreaming about the life that I wish I had or or the way that I wanted to be, I redirect my mind to the life that I already have in him because I'm redeemed by his blood. When the devil tells me, yo, God doesn't care about you. All the things that you want, you have none of it. I'm reminded in Ephesians chapter 1 of the riches of his grace that are lavished upon me in kindness. Hey, you don't have enough, Ray? You wish your life was different? Well, Ephesians tells me that I have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. And on Monday, day whenever that jumps into my mind where the flesh, the devil, or whoever starts coming and telling me, dude, you need to be discontent. Look, you don't have this, you don't have that. I'm trying to fight that with the scriptures to tell myself what is true of me and Jesus and over time, by his grace, I'm going to walk in contentment. And then that's my workout for the day. Now, I want you to notice the area of focus in each of those examples that I gave you. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, everybody say set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to do set my mind. Because that's why I am where I am. We either do it consciously or subconsciously. But if you're in the flesh, you've been setting your mind on the flesh. That's just it. So how do we sow spirit? Identify the area. Here's what I'm saying. I'm going to break it down. So how do we sow spirit? Identify the area of the flesh. Identify the desire. What's to do more, have more, be more. Identify the deception. And then step into the discipline. And when we do this, what's the promise? Well, Paul tells us as I close in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, he says in verse 9 And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give. When we sow to the spirit, what Paul is promising us is that at some point, my discontent isn't going to be what characterizes me. I will be in a place of rest that I was not if I just keep at it. You see, I didn't get here overnight, so I'm not going to shazam my way out of it. And neither can you. But whatever area it is for you, it's the daily decision to invite the Spirit into those spaces that will over time reap the Spirit. And Paul is saying, that's a promise. You don't have to live in anxiety for the rest of your life if you are in Jesus The glory of the law of sowing and reaping, verse 7, is that in Christ, you can sow in another field. When you come to Jesus, the gates are wide open for you to enter another pasture. It's called the field of the Spirit. And in this field, there's abundant life that blooms. Where love is at a premium, self control is in abundance, and patience is in plenty, and peace is within reach. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be discontent you don't have to be envious you don't have to be comparing you don't have to be filled with sexual lust if this is a law then you don't have to lie you don't have to cheat you don't have to have more you don't have to walk in comparison you don't have to be riddled with all the sins that you're struggling with if the spirit is the conduit by which we receive power and the law of returns is indeed a law, according to verse 8, it is a guarantee that if you sow to the Spirit, one day you're going to get the fruit of the Spirit. And so what's Paul's admonition? Verse 9, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Again, it applies even to the physical world, right? Gene, don't get weary in that doctoral program. Right? That's just how life is. And we all find ourselves getting in that place of getting weary. And and we need somebody to come and tell us, if you just stay on the path, I know it doesn't feel like you're getting to the end of the tunnel. But I'm trying to tell you right now, you're making progress. I know this doesn't feel like progress, but it's progress. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Because there's going to come a time where you're going to harvest the good of what it is to be filled with the Spirit in that place in your life. As Bloom writes, don't give up when the familiar sin still crouching at your door after all these years pounces again with temptation, because no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted according to your ability, First Corinthians 10, 13. Don't give up. When you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking, God, will you please change that area of my life? Well, just like God told us in the Scriptures, and he told them the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Luke chapter 18, don't give up. When the devil's fiery darts of doubt find themselves lodging at you in your soul, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Ephesians chapter 6, don't give up. When waiting on God to change you in this area, it just feels like, dang, man, this is never going to happen. I'm not going to change. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And they will, and you will, and we will, mount up with wings like eagles. Don't give up when you failed in sin. Don't wallow in guilt and shame because the scriptures tell us if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. First John 1 9. Don't give up, because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Like that song we just sing. Because in due season we shall reap. Let us not grow weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Boom. To do if we faint not. Boom. To do if we faint not, we shall receive our reward. Hey, boom. Let it go. Come on. Woo. And be patient with yourself. My wife was telling me an analogy. And she said, sometimes we don't realize how much we have grown and how much we have changed. And her counselor said, our growth is kind of like a mountain, not going from top to bottom, but kind of around in a circle. And sometimes when you're at that mountain and you're kind of moving up, it feels like you ain't made much progress, right? Right? But if you really stop and realize you're not at the bottom of the mountain, it just doesn't feel like it because you're going so slow. Be encouraged. You're farther up the mountain than you probably realize. And so I leave you with this question. I leave you with this question and it's a serious one. Because here's the reality. At the end of the day, Shazam is not going to work. Shazam is not going to work. If you're tired of being where you are, I'm going to ask you. You have to ask yourself this question seriously. Are you willing to put in the effort? Are you willing to put in the effort? Don't come to me and tell me you want to have a better golf swing, but you're not willing to put in the effort to get out there and hit some balls on a regular basis. It works the same way with your soul. And so really, this is what I'm seeing and realizing is, Ray, do you want to put in the effort? Because honestly, I'm in this rhythm so long of being discontent that it kind of feels good to just be here. How sick and tired are you being of sick and tired? And are you willing to sow into the place where you want to experience change? You hear that? Are you willing to sow into the place where you want to experience change? If you aren't willing to put in the effort and put in the workout, let's get in the gym, then then don't be mad at God. And don't sit there and wonder, I just don't know why I'm not different. Galatians is telling us, you got to sow. You got to put in the work. And God and His Holy Spirit will grant you the grace for the work. You can't earn your salvation, but earning is not opposed to effort in the Christian walk. And so I encourage you, examine your heart. Really, examine your heart. And if you're saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, then begin to shift and change and engage those spirit-wrought practices that will bring about the kind of change you're longing for. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. God, will you grant them the grace for the effort? God, will you grant them the grace for the effort? And will you encourage those, Lord God, who are on the road? Help them to see, Lord God, the progress, God, that you've made through All of the ways, God, that you've worked as they've engaged you through the various spiritual practices, they aren't the same. And God, will you give us the grace to experience the kind of change that you desire for us. Do miracles far beyond our effort, and yet at the same time because of it, as you enable and empower it. In Jesus' name. Amen.